On with the show. Welcome back to the Voices of Misery podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am very pleased because I have a special guest, so I'm very pleased to introduce them to you. Very interesting topic we're going to be talking about today. Now, you guys know about bin Laden. I mean, who doesn't know the evil, sinister bin Laden and what he did to our country and the kind of hell he put us through? There's one person out there who can kind of shed some light because I'm like you guys out there. I don't really know too much except for what the news told me. But we have someone on the inside, and she's also an author of a very, very big hit book here, Chasing Bin Laden, My Hunt for the World's Most Notorious Terrorist. Great book, and her name is Barbara Janik. Barbara, how are you today? And thank you for joining the Voices of Misery podcast. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm having a good day so far. <laughs> That's excellent. That's always good to hear. You are, are, are you ready for, you know, the, the really nice weather to start coming through? Because we just hit spring. We turn the clocks ahead. Everyone's ready for the beach. How about you? Uh, I don't really do the beach. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a beach person. I much prefer the woods. I'm like, oh man, there's some stuff about Yosemite and in, in my book, and it's just like my favorite place. I love trees. <laughs> okay, and the outsides. Okay, so where are you from? Um, I'm in the Houston area. I'm actually from a small town, uh, actually Santa Fe, Texas. And uh, yeah, I've been here basically my whole life. I went away to Houston when I was in college, but ended up coming back i was in alvin for a while and now i'm sort of like back in the same town okay you know that's really cool yeah everyone leaves the nest and sometimes you come back to kind of get that adult perspective of where you came from do you find it more rewarding now than when you were there before do you kind of appreciate it more oh yeah definitely i especially pr- appreciate the uh the nature around me um we've got like bunnies and possums and i mean you <laughs> wouldn't think this close to houston but i mean it really is like this little respite in the middle of like just this huge urban area and it definitely has a country feel to it um there are cows and horses in a field across the the street for me it's amazing i can just walk outside anytime and see cows that's pretty amazing that you know it is i live by the beach so I don't see any animals ever. I mean, except for some of the people that lay out on the beach, you know, can be misconstrued <laughs> as animals. But I mean, the thing is, is like, you don't see that very much. And I've always wanted to be in an area because I'm a country boy here at heart. So I would like to see animals and just go out there in the woods, shoot things and hunt. Isn't that what Texans do? Have you ever gone hunting? I personally have not. Um, when I was a little kid, and there's a blog about this on my website, um, my favorite um, toy was actually a BB gun. I was like this little tomboy and uh, yeah, but no, I never went hunting. I never killed anything. I just sort of shot cans and trees or whatever, but it was my favorite toy. I just, I love that thing, but yeah, yeah. Texans definitely uh, love hunting. My dad and my brother hunt every year and my dad's like in his mid eighties and he still goes hunting. I mean, and I know from shooting his gun one time, what the kickback is like on those things and i can't believe he is in his 80s and still handling that kickback he is just crazy strong he's got that old man strength you know that's the last thing to leave a man is strength he's got that grip until a couple of years ago he was still out there slinging bales of hay i mean he raises cows still 
But yeah, I mean, (laughs) but he, yeah, he gave himself a hernia throwing some hay one time. So he had to stop that. But uh, now he just kind of gets my, my brother helping him. So um, yeah. God bless him. That's amazing. Yeah, he's great. Now I did a little bit of research on you here. Okay. Because I like to do a little deep dive, a little, a little bit of digging, if you will. And the people that are coming on this show, because I like to be prepared. I did find one amazing thing that we both have in common. Okay. Okay. You're a nerd. My name is yes. nerd. That, that's my yes. God-given name. My mom named me nerd. It's my birth certificate. <laughs> you like Dungeons and Dragons. I love it. Yes. I have been trying to get a game going. I don't know what happened to me the past like three months now. I've been on this kick on Instagram. I've been trying to get people together to get a game. I don't even know the first thing about getting back into this. The last time I played, I was 17. And that was many, 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 many <laughs> years ago. Yeah. How often do you play? Um, we play every weekend. Well, actually, I say oh, that, but we don't always weekend. play d We play tabletop games, too. It just depends on our mood. But we are in the middle of a, a scenario right now. But, yeah, um, I met these people through Meetup, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you go on meetup.com, there, there's all kinds of D&D groups that are listed on there. That's a good way to hook up. Because I was having the same problem. I tried to get a group together in my in my hometown, and I kind of posted some stuff on Facebook, and it was like crickets. Nobody was interested in D&D. So finally I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to play with strangers then. And uh, went on meetup and met these amazing people. And uh, yeah, we see them every weekend. We, we uh, eat a meal together and uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's kind of like my way to bluff some steam. That is so cool. Now you being a writer, what is your role? Are you the dungeon master or what do you do in there? Cause I mean, you gotta be the expert storyteller. Yeah, I, I love being the dungeon master. I'm not right now. Um, I actually enjoy the role playing aspect of it the most. Like I really try hard to pull my players into their characters and uh, get them to like, you know, really talk to each other in character. And we have a lot of fun. We laugh a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm not the DM. They they banned me because I kept on like um, missing things. <laughs> <laughs> they would say something and they'd get really annoyed because I'd be so off in my head that I would miss something important. And yeah, so I'm not really allowed to be DM right now, but <clears throat> it, it, it was fun when I used to do it. Yes. Oh, I absolutely miss Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know what it, what happened to me, but I just got on this kick lately and I've been dying to play a game. So I am trying. So meetup.com, whenever I hear, meetup.com i think it's a hookup website but it's not the typical hookup so you can actually meet people and have like games so it's a legitimate yeah, site okay it's not dating it's yeah i have to check it out i have to check it out for sure but i could do a whole podcast on dungeons and dragons because i absolutely love it and i'm glad that you love it and i know we're going to get along beautifully because of our mutual <laughs> love for dungeons and dragons I'm and sure. hopefully hopefully you can get me into <laughs> one of these games i don't know if you guys do virtual or not i'm pretty far away from you yeah, but, I have done virtual before. I really prefer in person, but yeah, virtual is yeah. definitely a thing, especially during the pandemic. We we were doing some virtual playing and, and there's some really cool like maps and stuff that you can like create and everybody's watching on the maps and you can see exactly where your character's sitting. And, you know, of course we use grids and stuff like that sometimes and like minis, um, but virtually, you know, of course, I mean, it's, it's really, it's fast and really uh, the, the DM has to do a lot of prep, but um you know it's 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 definitely an option 
I used to have a friend that owned a shop that we used to play in the back and he used to have this little table set up and he used to have these little figurines that he would just sit there and, oh my goodness, the level of detail and these little tiny little figures, they were like little, for people I'd never heard of D&D, obviously, we're going to get off the top because I know I, I can nerd out on this all day long. <laughs> They're like little army men figures, but shrunk down and there was like these guys with swords and shields and all this stuff. And he's just painted these little tiny things like, dude, what are you doing with yourself? You can, you can do something with us. He's like, I am. I have my little shop. I'm happy. Well, you can, you got real talent. You can be a painter, man. I mean, these little tiny things and he was just doing such a good job. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I have hundreds of minis and a lot of them are with my board games too, like the tabletop games. Um, I intend to paint them someday. Ha ha. Never <laughs> happens. Um, I've painted like two, two minis. Maybe. No, actually I painted more than that first scenario a while back. And then I got to the point where I was just buying these little wooden discs and like printing images on them. And now it's like, I'm just lazy. I might use like a set of dice for the mini, you know, but I, I do love minis. They're my favorite aspect of role playing. Actually. I, I love the, the representative figures and I do mean to paint someday. Ha. Huh. I'll probably never get around to it. I'm really too busy, but I bought the paints. I have the paints. I have, <laughs> I have awesome. the primer. I have everything you need and nice little paint brushes. And yeah, I, I'm never going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If I had a dollar for everything I said I was going to do, but didn't, you know, the rest, I'd be a millionaire, obviously. Yeah. I, I do want to talk to you about this Bin Laden book because, I mean, a very controversial topic, obviously. Anytime you bring up Bin Laden, it's going to evoke some feeling of emotion from people, mostly negative, uh, obviously, and uh, some people just get really passionate about it. So right. I wanted to start off here by asking, what drove your passion? Like, what started your interest in this story? Well, um, I'll be real honest with you. I was having financial problems back in 2006. Uh, I had all this debt piling up on me. and we went on this like huge trip to, to California at West. I blew the rest of my credit. I don't know what got into me. I just really wanted to do this trip. And uh, so we get back and I really don't have the resources to pay my debt anymore. And uh, so I started looking for a solution and I got into like amateur detective work, kind of like trying to seek reward money for uh for like the first it was like missing people and criminals and then at one point i kind of switched over to terrorists and you know after i found my first one i was like okay we're gonna do this like i just went straight for the big guy you know and it was a little nuts doing this i don't know why i even thought i could do it but you know i i just went for it and you know these these terrorists have big dollars attached to them, like 5 million for just like, you know, somebody having to do with nine 11, there was a $25 million reward for bin Laden. I remember. And yeah. But also by the time I got to bin Laden, it wasn't even about the money anymore. I felt like I was making a difference in the war on terror and that I was able to like help take down some of these awful people. And it became bigger than myself. Like at that point, I felt like I probably wasn't even going to get any money. And it's like I had developed a system and I just felt like I needed to use it and I needed to to help people. And I've always had like a tremendous compassion for the victims. And I just remember how devastated I was on, on 9-11. Absolutely. Like everybody was, I mean, you ask anybody in the street, like, where were you that day? What were you doing? And people can remember like it was yesterday. So yes. 
absolutely insane but so you were down in your luck obviously you know i'm sorry to hear that glad you came out of it obviously Uh, so it led you down this path now how do you get into that business where you're uh you're basically like a forensic detective using your computer well i I just sort of came on it on my own um i had watched this uh like there was like this this murder that happened with like a a triple homicide and uh this kid had killed his entire family and they were off going on about social media how if they had found his social media they would have been able to predict it and maybe stop it right so this kind of clicked an idea in my brain that maybe you could use social media to find criminals and like back then especially myspace was a big deal and oh, yeah. uh yeah it was it was like everybody had a myspace i mean you couldn't turn a corner without hearing somebody whispering <laughs> about it yeah. and i mean but what you don't understand is myspace was more like a dating site in that you gave out all the information like your name your address everything was available through this massive search engine so you could do a reverse search for somebody's address and it would pop up with their name and you would know you had their location so with the right amount of footwork you could find the name and location of anybody on myspace it was crazy the amount of privacy you lost just by you know being a part of this this particular social media yeah, that's absolutely crazy. People, yeah, I, I remember now. I, I had a MySpace page as well, like everybody else did. But yeah, I, I do remember now that you mentioned it. You can put your address. I mean, how naive were we back then? <laughs> Just, right. It was geez. more than that. You could put smoking, drinking status, um, yeah. whether or not you're gay, you know. I mean, yeah. everything about you, they ask questions, and it's very much like a dating site because mm-hmm. it's like you can line these people up with your interests, you can pick people that are in your area. I mean, it it was kind of like meetup in a way that you could meet people in your area. Um, But, and and I did at at times do that. But I mean, also you can find people that share your interests. I mean, it's a fascinating idea, but it also really can backfire. So you were using MySpace to to, to catch people initially before you got into the Bin Laden case. You were basically just catching people through my, just by reverse searching their names. Oh, there goes my cat. You hear him? Oh, I He's, hear him. Okay, he is um, 18 years old. He was a young kitty during my book. He, we used the name Midnight for him. And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's very vocal. He's got a little bit of dementia going on. So he kind of wanders around lost sometimes. And if he starts meowing, that's what's happening. He's okay. So, oh, cats. Really loud, <laughs> so you are a cat person. You know, we were getting along so well. Oh, I'm you feel like guy. dogs, right? <laughs> I'm a, I, I am a dog guy. My wife, she loves cats. And right now we're in this debate where she's like, we have to get a cat. I'm like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Well, oh, goodness. God bless you for uh, being able to. Being able to have one, they just drive. They drive me nuts. Like we we had a whole bunch at one point, and we even took in a cat because our, our neighbors they moved away and they left their cat. And we have a, a soft spot for animals. We brought this cat in and it had fleas and it just left an entire mess that took like two Aww. months to clean up a long time ago. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, he can be the first cat on this podcast. Well, he he is. He just meow. <laughs> He's being very vocal. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. he wants to know hey i'm a character too i'm in the book <laughs> <laughs> so all right so sorry so we were at the, uh, the myspace okay so we were doing the myspace thing and and you're, you're finding these people how 
how easy did you find it to just use the MySpace? Or are people really that open as far as you're committing crimes and you're putting all your information out there? You don't find people to be a little bit uh, more guarded and like uh, ha- dirty. It really kind of depends. I mean, fortunately, the first one I found, um, Basura, he he used his real address. I mean, it was a fake name, but I mean, it, I'm just saying like, not all of them are so smart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and they kind of like get the sense, like this feeling of invincibility, I think. And um, even though they might not be using their real names, it could be an established alias. Um, they could say what city they're in without the precise address. I mean, you know, there are certain lies that they tell in their social media. Um, none of these people used their real faces. It was all like... Um, you know icons and drawings like one of them i used a race car um but i mean they just you know what can i say i mean sometimes they did let out enough to where i had a trail to follow it's funny though because like i'm I'm thinking about it here and i'm trying to put my my mind in the mindset of one of these people who's uh, who's obviously got issues and they're going to commit a crime uh, the last thing I would do is create a, a social media page. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what kind of business are they are they operating, or is it just like a personal page that's used to find them? Are they using it to like communicate with other people? Oh, absolutely. I, I think they were using it for recruiting. Okay. Okay. I think they were using it for communication because, um, unlike Twitter, um, MySpace actually had a encryption option on their. Uh, on their messaging, their instant messaging. Um, uh, anyway, so you could actually have encrypted private conversations through the texting. Now, I'm not sure why they didn't just normally use like ICQ or something, but I think the main reason that they were on MySpace was for recruiting and communication with maybe uh, young, young Muslims who might be interested in joining their movement. But that's so of course they a, had a whole network then going on. I MySpace. think so. Yeah, I do. Yeah. All right. So, so how did you stumble upon Ben Ben Laden? Obviously, I mean, like you heard what happened. You were watching the news, I'm sure. And then is that where you're just like, that's the one I'm going to catch him? And where do you start? Okay, so there's a website called Re- RewardsForJustice.net, and it lists all the top people that the FBI were after, and it still exists. Um, and there's a list of all these like. Um, terrorists most of which were linked with with 9-11 or bin laden and it lists like how much they're worth and stuff like that and i looked at this list and i'm like well who am i who am i gonna go after and i really uh didn't have a clue so i just sort of closed my eyes and pointed at the screen (laughs) and said i'm gonna go after that one and so um when i found this guy's address um you know it took it took a while it was quite a process um but for some reason I was like, okay, I found this guy. Let's, let's just, let's just, what the heck, maybe I'll go after Ben Laden. Now Ben Laden wasn't as simple as a reverse address, you know, um, search. It was like a very difficult convoluted path. He made himself way harder to find. In fact, almost impossible. I, I can't, I still can't believe I found him. What, what was he doing differently that the other people weren't doing? Um, well, uh, oh, first of all, I want to clarify for, for people who are listening, what we're talking about is from 2006. This has nothing to do with the 2015 raid. 
this is like a story that has never been told before. Um, and no, I'm not the one who found him in 2011. This is a different story. He was found and he was eventually arrested back then. And it's just something that the government, they don't talk about it. And for some reason, the story just got crushed. So uh, anyways, back to uh, what were you asking? Oh, I was just wondering, like, what what was he doing differently than as far as being able oh, to folk like, his yeah, whereabouts? So I went through his whole list of aliases because that was my process. I would go through the list of aliases. I would try to find one that matched with a suspicious looking MySpace page. And, um, you know, he had some, you know, some real sounding names and, and some like, but nothing was coming up. Right. Like every time I did a search, there was like no page associated with the alias. And finally, the very last alias on the list was the director. And I'm like, oh, shh, there's not going to be anything for this. This is like <laughs> dumb, you know. And I searched for it and the director popped right up. And it was like this blue seahorse. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? He's going by the director, you know, yeah. and he's using a seahorse icon. I, I cannot find him based on this information. And so, like, it took a lot of really major out-of-the-box thinking to make any progress on Bin It took me a few days. It was, like, really very uh, – it, it wasn't much to start on. Now, you're looking for Bin Laden all by yourself. Did yes. you ever – to consider maybe bringing other people in to maybe help out because it sounds like a really daunting task to go after the world's most dangerous wanted man at the time no it was just me and my computer i mean i had a uh, my family supporting me you know well I, I say my family but my partner um she's nikki in the book um anyway uh her real name's lydia by the way in case <laughs> she doesn't mind me saying okay. um yeah i i, I was a. Uh, forced to use fake names in my book by my sister so mm-hmm. <laughs> anyways, it's a whole nother story mm-hmm. but um <laughs> anyways so uh yeah i kind of got off track there um so yeah no i i didn't really have anybody helping me um you know i there weren't any real like sleuthing sites uh i did have like like michelle mcnamara from what i understand when she did the story behind i'll be gone in the dark um she went after the golden state killer and that book is wildly popular and uh she like they've made it into a series now i think it's on netflix i haven't seen it anyway um but when she went after them there were sleuthing sites and from what i understand she was able to get together with other you know sleuths like armchair detectives and they were able to kind of like pool their thoughts together well there was nothing like that people weren't really doing my type of thing at the time you know it was all like professionals now there were a few times when i collaborated with um with some of the local authorities um i did have them like on one of the missing people i was looking for um i had them do a a photograph check to see if this particular individual on myspace was the missing person so they were able to call in an expert and like have them analyze the photo. So I did have some of that going on, but for the most part, I was just on my own. That's tough. I mean, cause I'm thinking about it here and you dedicated quite a bit of time, yes. you know? So at what point did it become something that you were just doing, you know, as like a, I, I guess like a side hustle, it sounds to me kind of like, and when did it become a full time, like I got to catch this guy deal? Well, first of all, 
I never made a dime for my efforts. Okay. So you couldn't even call it a side hustle. It was more like a bunch of hopes, hopes and dreams, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, what were you asking? You wanted me to say, well, I was just wondering because like you, you, you put a lot of hours into this. I was wondering like how many hours in a day and when did this become uh, something that consumed you like more or less more? Well, of your time? It consumed me from the beginning because it was just very exciting. The idea of finding these people. And mm-hmm. I mean, at first, like I said, it was missing people, but, and, and it reached this point where I was spending so much time on it that it just became overwhelming. Like I wanted to stop at one point. I found it really hard to stop because I was so obsessed um, but, uh, I came very close to stopping just within like a week or two of like a couple of weeks of finding Bin Laden. Um, I was like, I was ready to stop and I was going to go to the doctor and get some sleeping pills and just kind of just like sleep it off. And, um, but it, it didn't work out that way. And I ended up continuing. And, uh, so yeah, the rest is history. So over the time that you were putting into this, did you find yourself isolating yourself from people? And, and what were the reactions to uh, um, just what you were doing in your spare time? I was never super social to begin with, but I did have a job. I was um, working for uh, this guy named Adam in the book and uh, as a computer repair tech. And I shared with him what I was doing and I shared with some of my family members, but for the most part, they were not supportive. Um, they really thought, you know, that I was just way over the top here. <laughs> and, and in a lot of ways I was, of course, but it, you know, I wasn't wrong. It's just that, you know, they're my family. They don't really believe that I could do these things, you know? And, and I understand that there is a sense of unreality for sure. You know, it's like, oh, wow, I did this great thing, you know? how do I reconcile that with me being me, you know, like, I'm just like this normal person living in the country outside of Houston. And, you know, I found the most wanted man in the world. It's like, Whoa, you know, it's, it's a bit of a trip, you know, and I I just can't even imagine what my family and friends must've been thinking. I mean, it, it must have also taken an emotional toll on you personally, because it's like you're you're going up against this. I mean, to me, it's an impossible task. I, I couldn't even fathom being in your position and having that kind of passion and actually thinking I had a shot at doing it. So did you ever have those moments where it just kind of just beat you down and you kind of had self-doubt, like maybe this isn't um, going to happen? I was absolutely exhausted. And there were lots of times that I wanted to quit so many times. It was kind of like... Uh, I always felt like I was on the verge of just like losing it. Like I, I just, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're in the rodeo and you're riding this wild Bronco. Right. And it's just trying to buck you and you're just trying to stay on long enough to finish the task and get points for what you're doing without falling off onto the ground. Well, it was a lot like that. I had to ride that Bronco and uh, you know, hopefully win some points at the end, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, what about this information that you're finding on Bin Laden? Because eventually you started hitting your stride and sort of finding more and more. Because at the beginning, you know, you were saying you were having a little bit of trouble maybe finding his location because he, he was always kind of jumping around. It was kind of hard to find. He had so many aliases. Um, as far as when you started finding information, who would you turn that into? Or did you just kind of keep it to yourself or what? Well, it was the FBI. I was, I was working with the FBI the whole time. I mean, Anytime I had a tip on a terrorist and especially, you know, Bin Laden, I would call them and give them the information. I would uh, both call and send an email about the information. So 
if you look on my website under the research tab, um, it's actually got the entire phone record uh, redacted for personal numbers um, and all the emails. And you can tell, like, I would mm-hmm. call and then right afterwards I would send an email and you, you could see the contents where I'm turning in this this uh, person's name and address and saying, you know, this is such and such terrorist. And I mean, so you can see it and you can follow the timeline in the book. It matches yeah. up perfectly. And uh, so, no, I was I was talking with the FBI. And if you don't know how the FBI works, um, when you call up, there's like this, I, I guess it's a screener. That's all I can say. Um, and then there's like the duty agent. Well, if if they don't think you have anything to say of importance, you don't get past the screener. They'll just they'll just shut you down. So I know that I was helping because they always let me through. They knew who I was. I called, you know, multiple times, probably dozens, dozens of times. And they always welcomed my, welcomed my comments. They always welcomed my tips and, and they listened, you know, I was never mocked or ridiculed or, you know, I I was taken very seriously. Yeah. I was going to say, I was looking on the website and there were a ton of emails and I, and I saw that, you know, you you did have the things crossed out because you couldn't obviously put their, you know, the, the mailing addresses in there and the names and whatnot in there. But it looks like you sent a ton of information. And I'm just wondering, yes. like, did you get any feedback as far as like, okay, like, did you find out where any of the information led to that you passed on to them? Or did they just kind of have that relationship where it's like you give them the information and they take it and do what they do? Or did you have an open dialogue? Well, unfortunately, everything is given out on a needs to know basis. And mm. even though I'm one calling in the tips, I'm not the one that needs to know, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's very, very frustrating. But there's ways of getting information without asking a direct question. In fact, they coached me on this. They were like, okay, you just have to ask, you know, is it reasonable that, you know, and then they'll say yes or no. And so that's how I was able, like one time I asked, is it reasonable to say that my tips are helping? And the guy said, yes, it is reasonable. So, I mean, you know, there's that type of thing, but also they're human beings. They'll slip up and say things, um, that are very clear whenever i uh found bin laden i, I talked to a um talked to a uh, duty agent the next morning and he asked me a bunch of pointed questions and he he ended up calling me you know a gifted researcher a true patriot i mean you know all these things he asked me where i found the big guy which was obviously bin laden but they have to talk in like this cloak and dagger kind of yeah cagey way <laughs> mm-hmm. with it so that, so like i've never had anybody actually say you found osama bin laden because they they can't do that you know so all this like evidence is placed out in my book where they said things without saying them mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like basically uh but but no i was absolutely always welcomed so he was found in uh, brooklyn right yes brooklyn what the hell was he doing there <laughs> well, people don't know this, but Brooklyn was actually one of the founding centers of Al-Qaeda. Uh, there were like three main branches, and uh, Brooklyn was one of them. And there was something called the Al-Kifa Refugee Center, and it was like located on top of this mosque. And uh, it was just like this small office building. And they would funnel, um, you know, people that they wanted to fight against the Mujahideen. Uh, or, or, I mean, fight with the, the Mujahideen against Russia um, during during the war where Russia was out there, you know, and they've, they've you know, fighting, fighting in Afghanistan. Yeah. So um, the CIA actually uh, funded 
a lot of this um, back then because they wanted the organization that eventually became Al-Qaeda uh, to help fight the Russians. So they were funneling money through the Al-Qaeda Refugee Center. So what I'm saying is that Brooklyn, from way back in like the late 80s, has had ties um, to Al-Qaeda that most people don't know about. And so I actually think that bin Laden was there and I un- uncovered evidence that he was actually there before 9-11 and that he was like, I think he just wanted to be close to the action. Um, there were some rumors that he actually had kidney failure and needed dialysis. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but if he did have dialysis, you know, Brooklyn's a perfect place to be, you know, the, yeah. the best healthcare in the world. The guy is a billionaire, you know, he could afford to just pay out of pocket. And I mean, so that, that could have been an aspect as well, but I really think he wanted to be here to command his trips to be a part of the action. You know, he, he may have even been on a rooftop somewhere watching the twin towers fall. You know, I really don't know. Jeez. Now, now you found them. How did you find him in Brooklyn? How did you make the, that connection? Well, the first terrorist I found there was through a reverse email search and through a con- convoluted, uh, series of steps i was able to find a current alias that was not the director it was actually ali hussein and so the first place i looked was brooklyn because i already knew about the connection i already knew that there was at least one of their terrorists there and so i was able to find an address and back then i don't think you can do it today but through some of the um, paid people finders you were able to do um address confirmations where they could hook up with like utilities and phone records to see if to see if they were current utilities and phone lines. And so you could confirm that somebody was actually still living there. So I was able to find the list of addresses, um, was able to narrow it down to a current address. And I was like, okay, well, a lot of this was circumstantial and I, I had no way of knowing for sure, but you know, I was like, I have to call this in. I mean, what if it is him? And, you know, fortunately for, for everybody, for the world, um, it, it was correct. Now, did you get any credit for, for this at all? No, no, I never got any credit. That's why nobody knows who I am. I mean, oh, goodness. Yeah, no credit, no reward, no nothing. Um, I was for about a day by the FBI being treated by like a hero. I, I was promised an announcement from the president and it was all very exciting. And then boom, about like, I think noon the next day it was over. Like they just crushed the story. Right to the next one. That's exactly how it works. The news cycle moves yep. so fast now. We all know, especially nowadays. It's wow. So how does that feel knowing that you 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 helped in a major way and getting none of the credit? Well, honestly, I spent several months trying to get the word out after they crushed the story. I really wanted the public to know, hey, he's not out there anymore. We can end these freaking wars. Let's just do yeah. this. And like, I couldn't get the word out. I was slapped in the face, you know, repeatedly, you know, called crazy and a liar and cyber bullied. And I was just spat upon. So, so for many years, I would say for eight years, it became like a source of deep shame for me. Like I didn't want to talk about it with anybody and I didn't want to think about it. And I'm just now coming around to where I can talk about it and I'm not ashamed. And I am proud of what I accomplished, but it's taken years to get to this point. It took me six years to write the book. Probably just like, it was just so incredibly painful to like dredge up all those memories of something that I really didn't even want to think about, much less talk about. 
And here I am presenting this book to the world. And, you know, oh, and I just want to add something real quick. It is sure. free this week. The book is free this week in ebook format. You can get it literally anywhere online. It doesn't have to be Amazon. And I'm doing that just because I'm so desperate. I really want the word out. I really want this to go viral. And I hope you'll take a minute to download it. And I hope you will read it because this is very important information that has never been told. So I just, I just wanted to emphasize that this is, this is like crazy important. And I really want everybody to get their copy. Absolutely. I'm, not, I'm not saying it'll be free forever, but right now it's going to be free. Absolutely. And we'll definitely put it over on social media as well. It's it's just crazy that the, the story was suppressed because, I mean, back then, at least when I was a little bit younger, I was more naive and I thought that the media was supposed to be honest. Uh, up until recently, it became, you know, well known that they're not so honest in, in a lot of aspects. But back then, you didn't think this kind of stuff was going on. So, well, it's uh, not the media that was the problem. The problem was the government crushed the, government. the story. Okay. Right. I mean, the media... What? But yeah, they, they can't tell the the media can't tell the story if they don't have firm evidence. They're not going to report just based on my word, you know. Mm. And so I really didn't have any recourse. I didn't have enough solid evidence. All I had was my own story. And you know, now I've put together a lot more historical evidence. It's all laid out in the book. There's a lot more to go on. But back then I had nothing but my word and it really was like impossible to get any media attention. Why do you think this was buried? You know, I have a lot of theories on that. Um, I don't a hundred percent know. Um, I do think that perhaps they had other uses for bin Laden and they just like, yeah, I don't want to get too much into it. It's just going to sound like a conspiracy theory. I really don't want to, get into a bunch of guesswork i just know that that i caught him and for some reason they crushed the story but I, i'm sure that they had some kind of use for him yeah you, you gotta wonder there was a lot of weird things going on there and i don't think anyone is ever going to know that story uh, maybe somewhere down the line it might come out what really happened but i just thought the whole yeah. thing was weird how like they they took his body out and dumped him out you know out <laughs> the ocean i mean burial right, by right, sea right, right. and just yeah. like uh, i don't know about all no, that there's, just there's been no dna evidence to support the fact that he's dead um there's been no photographs whatsoever none I mean, there's nothing out there other than the word of like government agents and, and you're just going to trust them. I mean, you know, so I don't know if the man is dead or alive. I do think he was in Abbottabad uh, at one point, but I also think he was transferred from the United States to Pakistan. I don't know if he was there during the raid, but he was there at some point, I do believe. So it's not like there's a total disconnect between their story and my story. There is a little bit of a connection. Okay, and I say this because Seymour Hirsch, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, um, says in the killing of Osama bin Laden, basically states that bin Laden was under house arrest since 2006. So he's saying that as of 2006 and beyond, bin Laden was under house arrest in Pakistan at the, um, the bunker in uh, Abbottabad. Okay, and so what I'm saying is that he was arrested in 2006. And then most likely transferred at some point to Abbottabad where he was held under house arrest. Okay, so there is a connection between 2006 and 2011. Hmm, very interesting. Now that said, is it over for you? Or do you think that there's more work to be done? 
Oh, you mean detective work? Oh, yeah. Mean, as far as a spend line, I don't know. Yeah, I'm starting I'm to think he might not be going. Work, no, he might not be, but I'm not going after him anymore. There's no more MySpace. I mean, yeah. at least not in its its old form. Well, um, but He might be in the you, meta world now, that Facebook meta thing. You, you, you might actually see possible. him walking down the street. You don't understand, though. The first time around when I did all this, it nearly killed me. Like, I was yeah. – and I – and and when I, when I wasn't taken seriously, I went off into a tailspin of depression for eight years. It was awful. I never want to repeat that again. Mm. So I'm out of the business. My business right now is to get the truth out, and that's what really the book's about. Yeah. That and helping people. Maybe maybe it'll help some of these FBI agents who never got credit for what they did. You know, they were pissed when it happened. You could hear it in their voices. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel for them. I really do. The FBI. They're absolutely my heroes. They got out there and they did the job and they arrested him and they listened to me. Okay. But I mean, it's just like, I don't know. How rewarding was it to put your experiences that you've, you've, you've had this like relationship with, with, with Ben Laden basically where you, you were doing this and then you know, they had all, all the years of just depression, just people weren't believing what you were saying. How did it feel when you finally put that, the print in the form of a book is is that therapeutic actually it's been incredible i have a lot of twitter followers i have twenty four thousand twitter followers and they have been incredibly supportive i was expecting and it it could still happen but i was expecting to be cyber bullied again i was expecting to be called crazy and a liar but now it's like people read my book and they believe my story you know and it's shocking to me because it's not what I expected. You know what I mean? And it is very gratifying. And it is very vindicating to know that there are people out there that are willing to support me and love me, you know, even in the face of me telling this very unusual story. And I think that it's because it's all laid out there very well. It's a well-written book. Um, I think that I am a very, you know, somebody that's easy to empathize with. I think a lot of people find my story relatable. This is not a dry recounting of events. It's about my own personal life and my personal experience. Lots of anxiety. It's like very much like almost like a psychological thriller in a lot of ways. It's, it's a mix of true crime, history, you know, um, and memoir. And it's, yeah. oh, it's primarily a memoir. It's about me. And I think people find that very relatable. They find me, they find that they're able to sympathize with me. But more importantly, it's a history book. Um, there are 177 citations throughout the book. And that's where I've tried very hard to lay out any evidence I could find that could back up what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It really is because you do have all the citations, you have all the notations, you have everything, you have all your references in the book. So people that aren't believing anything can actually go and check these references, which is what sets your yes, part. There's superscripts. And if yeah. you get the eBooks, there's all kinds of links. You can just like link up to the sources, except for the ones that are in, uh, you know, journals through academia. Some of them I used, I used a resource from where I got my master's in history. Um, I still have access to the library resources. And so some of those links you're not going to be able to follow because they link up to the library website. But I mean, most of the links, you know, and, and I downloaded, like if you can't follow the link on my resource page, I downloaded every single article, all 177. Well, it's not quite 170, some are repeats, but I ordered, I downloaded and printed the PDF, all the resources 
and a few links to some videos and stuff like that. It's, it's all there. It's all there. You can, you can, you can check behind me. Yeah. And the thing about it too, is I, I thought it was really good that you mentioned the word memoir, because that's what I got from it as well. Because the thing about the book is it's not all like just beating you over the head with just Ben Laden, Ben Laden. There's a real, there's a real emotional attachment to yourself as the main character, obviously in the story of your life. I mean, it's, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's more like you get into the mindset and how you felt. Like you said, it's, it's, it, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to no. be like a history book. Just like, Oh goodness, you know, who doesn't know sort about bin Laden, but then your experience is what really adds character to it. And adds that emotional attachment, which makes it such a good book. And I really implore everyone to go out there and check it out because it's extremely well-written. Yes, it's more than just about really in a lot of ways it's not even about Bin Laden himself. Mm-hmm. It gets very little into his personality and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's really about me and my efforts to find him. Bin Laden himself is kind of almost incidental. It's like it's about my hunt. It's about me finding him. It's about the fallout of what happened afterwards. Okay. But it's not really much about Bin Laden himself or even the history that any of you know about. I mean, it's it's really different than what you might be thinking. It's just a whole lot going on in that world. But what drew you to the whole true crime genre? Because uh, obviously, I mean, you, you got a hit book there in the true crime genre. Now, you're a true crime writer. Do you read any true crime or enjoy that stuff in your spare time? Okay, honestly, I mostly wrote in a vacuum. I don't read that often. <laughs> and that's a weird thing for an author to say. Okay? Yeah, it is. But, Uh, Yeah, it's, it's very, I'm a very strange person. Okay. I don't take the time. I read a lot of news. I read a lot of Twitter. Um, I do occasionally read fiction, but I'm not really a true crime person. I have no idea what the genre is even like, because I've never read it before. I just wrote what happened, what I was feeling, you know, how it all happened. I just laid it out there and it fits so nicely into true crime. You know, but it wasn't really my intention. It's just me telling the truth. It's me telling my story. And I think my voice is very unique because I didn't borrow much from other authors. Yeah, exactly. It's a very unique book written from your perspective, which is a phenomenal perspective. And I really do wish that you get the recognition that you deserve off of this because, I mean, you, you've got all the proof. The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. And this book is is a really great uh Really, really great read. And I'm not a reader either. I mean, if it doesn't have pictures and if it doesn't have Superman or Batman in it, I'm not really there. But this definitely kept my interest. It was a very, very good thing. But I do want to ask you a question here in in, in closing. Obviously, I want to ask you because now you got the bug for writing. At least I hope you do because this was a good book and I want more to come out of it. Do you plan on writing any more books? And if so, what kind of what what, what kind of things are you going to do? So I'm going to do a series of memoirs. Um, the next one I've already started, it's called Gifted Freak, My Life in the Outskirts. <laughs> and I've only written like a, cha- a few chapters I've written the intro. It's also going to be very personal. It's mostly about my struggles and my feelings of isolation growing up and as a teen and as an adult, as a uh, intellectually gifted person. And I think that a lot of people will find it relatable. And it might also help people who have kids that might be going through the same thing. Um, Really, I love the fact that I'm smart. You know, I really am very, like, it's a very strong part of my identity. Yes, I am a nerd. But um, (laughs) at the same time, yeah, at the same time, (laughs) it ruined my life. I mean, my life has been an entire, like, my entire life has been an existential crisis. It's like, does God exist? What happens when you die? You know, um, is life even worth living? You know, what's the point in all the struggle? 
Like the whole, my whole life has been this. Okay. But Mm -hmm. it's not that I was really bullied for being smart, but I couldn't connect with other people, especially in high school. Like I was just too different. I was considered weird, strange, and I didn't like it. And I had to learn how to embrace that. So that's what my next book is going to be about. It's going to be about my personal struggles. Um, Also, if you don't know, um, the Bin Laden book features um, me as a lesbian with a lesbian family. It's it's me and my partner, Nikki, and my kids, uh, Don and Peter. And we're just kind of living our lives while we're going through this thing. So one of my books is probably going to be called Tomboy. And it's going to be about um, my whole life, you know, growing up in my uh, my gender and sexual orientation identity. And it's going to probably get into that some. So that's another option. I'm still like, I have a lot. Um, one's probably going to focus on my mental and emotional struggles even more in depth than in the Bin Laden book. Um, I just have a lot of ideas. I'm very multifaceted. I am extremely interested in the book where you're going to talk about God and your and your beliefs because as you were saying everything you were saying there, I'm sitting there shaking my head because that's the exact same feeling I have. I'm I'm an agnostic, and and that's how I identify myself when it comes to religion. Obviously, yes. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's true or not. I just don't care. I just want to live my life. Mm-hmm. And I've had this conversation in my head a million times because there's not many people you can really talk to about this kind of thing because it's so personal and touchy for a lot of people. But, you know, I'm just like, if I'm living my life as a good, virtuous person, that should be enough to get me into uh, a higher plane of, of existence. If if I go up to the pearly gates and they're yes. like, you know, St. Peter's there and he's like, hey, you know what, nerd, you never believe so you're going to burn in hell. I'm saying, wait a second, wait a second there, Peter. Oh my gosh. I lived a good life. I did everything I was supposed to do. I live better than most Christians do. Why can't yeah. I get in? Because well, you didn't say a magic prayer. Well, in that case, I'm going to hell. You know, it's just, uh, there's so much of it that doesn't make any sense. And I listen to a lot of very intelligent of people. And these people will sit there and make fun of things like comic books and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, how can you waste your time watching this crap and listening to this and I sit there and go, yeah, but you're talking about a man who parted the seas. You're talking about a man who lived in a whale for, uh, uh, what, seven days or something like that? Right. You're t- and, and you're telling me Superman can't fly? He can't be real? Batman? <laughs> I, give me a break with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. And I do believe in, in Jesus, you know, but it, my my feelings about religion and spirituality have evolved big time i don't i'm not even sure if i believe in hell at this point you know i do believe very strongly in an afterlife i have a very um deep spiritual life and and it's necessary for me because for me if i don't believe in anything i will fall into such a deep depression mm-hmm. um i really need to hang on to the idea that there's more to this life than just living in all this misery i've i've had a miserable life hey we're with his voices of misery right that's what we're here for (laughs) i've had a miserable life and it's been awful and i'm just now coming out of that depression and that darkness and for me part of it is hanging on to my spirituality and there's some of that in my book like how my grandma saved me from suicide whenever i was a teenager Um, and, and there's some of some of that okay but for me, it's just like incredibly important to believe in something beyond myself. And I do, I, I feel 
more connected with the universe than I ever have at this point in my life. That's beautiful to hear because I feel it myself at, at my age now. I feel like I'm at a point now where I finally know who I am and what I'm about and what what makes me tick and what doesn't make right. me tick. And that's good enough for me. And I'm okay. I don't have those feelings anymore of just deep, dark depression. I can't stop smiling. I smile so much. My wife, my co-host, she hates it. She's like, you're smiling too much. Stop. You're making me miserable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That reminds me, um, Nikki, well, her name's Lydia, but sometimes when I smile at her really big these days, she gets suspicious. Like, what are you up to? (laughs) You're not supposed to be smiling. You've always been the depressed one. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. It's been a blast. I'm, I'm telling you, Barbara, it's, uh, I mean, this time just flew right by and you got to promise me you're going to come back once you get that, once you get that book about religion done, because that is something I am willing to talk about for, I, I could do that all day and night. So many right. questions about the universe that are just go unanswered. Maybe we could do it over a D and D date one day. That would be amazing. Oh my God. You gotta, we gotta stay in contact. We gotta get a game going. I got like yeah, five or definitely. six people Wait, ready to go. You have my email address, and uh, absolutely, you know, I would definitely be up for staying in contact. Oh, for sure. Now, please, you got to do one thing for me here. Sure. You got to let the people know where they can buy the book and where they can follow you on all your socials and anything else you'd like to plug here. Sure. So, um, like I said earlier, my book is free this week. I'm really wanting to get the word out. I really need this to go viral. Okay. Um, you can buy it literally anywhere. Of course, it's on Amazon, but you can also get it on Kobo, Apple Books, um, you know, Nook, basically anywhere where you can get an ebook. But there is also a print copy. And if you don't want to take the free copy because you want to support me, please buy the print book. Um, it's also basically everywhere. It's on Barnes and Noble, um, Amazon. Um, I think that, yeah, Walmart has it, but these are all websites. You can't just step into a bookstore. I'm only online at this point. I'm hoping to expand into bookstores eventually. But um, yeah, there's a lot of indies who sell it. Um, You know, I I can't think of their names right off, but I mean, buy it. You don't have to go on Amazon. If you don't like Amazon, don't buy it on Amazon. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll make this happen together. And you know, I, I really hope that, that the word gets out and that my story helps some people. I believe it will. Ladies and gentlemen, Chasing Bin Laden, my hunt for the world's most notorious terrorist memoir. I like to call it memoir because it's such a good story. Such oh, a wait, good story about your life. I forgot one more thing. What's that? ChasingBinLaden.com. That's my website. If you want to look up all the resources, ChasingBinLaden.com. Okay. And you can go there and you can see my emails and my phone records and everything. Also, I do have a social media at Barbara K. That's initial K. Janik is my Twitter. And that's the main one that I use. I have other social media, which you can find through Google, but Twitter is my main one. And uh, so please follow me and uh, please check out my website. I think you'll really like what you see. It's, it's very professional and there's lots, just a plethora of information. We sure as hell will. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on the Voices of Misery. It's been a blast. Thank you so much.